Well, our worship team this morning was made up of the class of 2019, and so thank you for leading us in worship this morning. You know, I don't know about you, but I have an affinity towards one of our more recent college slogans. Maybe you've seen it on social media or billboards around town. It states, your mission is out there, but training starts here. I mean, I like it. Think about it. If Jesus spent 30 years to prepare for his public ministry and the disciples spent three years being taught daily by Jesus, and the Apostle Paul spent at least three years in the desert of Arabia, not even counting all his years of rabbinic studies, then it's probably appropriate for us to spend two to five years preparing for the mission that God has for us. So class of 2019, congratulations for completing this portion of your training for the mission that God has for you. Which brings up another question, what is your mission? One of the best books I've read in the last several months is a book called Red Platoon. It's the story of how Staff Sergeant Clint Romache won the Medal of Honor in Afghanistan on October 3rd, 2009. In about August of that year of 2009, Staff Sergeant Clint Romache and about 50 other American and Afghan soldiers were helicoptered into what they called Cop Keating, Combat Outpost Keating. It was at the remote, most remote portion of Afghanistan. They were helicoptered in at night, and when they woke up in the morning, they realized why. Because this combat outpost was at the bottom of this valley along a river, but just beside it, all around it were these huge mountains. In fact, it was a terrible tactical position to build that outpost because every day for months, Taliban soldiers would actually fire rounds into the combat outpost. They would launch mortars into, the, into Cop Keating. On the morning of October 3rd, 2009, at about 5.30 in the morning, 300 Taliban soldiers attacked the outpost. Within the first half an hour, seven American soldiers were killed in action. Quickly, the outpost was being overran. They tried to call for some combat air power, but it wasn't available at the time. And so they, they were, again, they were just retreating back to the command center at this combat outpost. The other staff sergeant looked at Clint Romache and, and he said, man, we need to take Alamo position, which was just to defend this command center until we can get help. And Staff Sergeant Clint Romache looked back and said, no, no, we have to take this back. And so he took four or five other soldiers and fought his way back, pushed Taliban out of the outpost and eventually recovered the front gate. During the middle of that battle, actually um, the call broken arrow went out. Broken arrow means that the, the outpost is being overran by enemy soldiers and, and it's a message sent out to all the aircraft in the theater of operations that you need to break away from your previous combat mission and come and help this outpost. The first aircraft over Cop Keating was an F-15 Strike Eagle. It dropped its ordnance and then it stayed over the outpost for five to six hours 
directing other aircraft would come, that would come in. There wasn't a AWACS plane that does air traffic control available. So these fighter pilots, two pilots stayed overhead. This long they would refuel and then they would stay over the combat outpost and they were directing aircraft. The way it works is, you know, at the highest altitude, you would have the jets or the, the air tanker, or the refueling planes. And at a lower altitude, you might have slower moving planes, A-10 warthogs, then at lower altitude, um, helicopters, and you need to coordinate so they don't run into each other, they don't drop ordnance on each other. And Clint Romache was so impressed that these fighter pilots spent six hours in their cockpit just helping them recapture this combat outpost. He said that was one of the main reasons they, were, they didn't all get overrun, they didn't all get killed that day. And reflecting on that, he says, you know, I know why they did it though. These pilots, these Pilots that fly multi-million dollar planes that have millions of dollars invested in their training. If you would go back to their fighter squadron, the 335th fighter squadron at Bangor Airfield in Afghanistan, there was a sign over the door of their barracks as they walked out to the tarmac and it said this. It said an 18 year old with the rifle is the mission and everything else is support. You see, they knew their mission. Even though these fighter pilots could, were better educated, had flew better aircraft, they knew that they were supporting the ultimate mission of the person on the ground. You know, when we think of our spiritual battle, the battle that we fight, often I've even thought of Ozark Christian College, you could say this, that our mission begins with an 18-year-old with the Bible in one hand and a talon basin in another. That's our mission. And everything else we do as a college is to support that mission. If you want to make it more personal, you could say your mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to love God and serve others, to give your whole life to Jesus. And everything else you do in life is to support that mission. In fact, in fact, think about this. You're graduating with earned degrees. You've majored in a particular aspect of ministry or theology, but that's not your ultimate mission. Your mission isn't necessarily just to do youth ministry or children's ministry or missions. No, your mission is to love God and serve people and everything else you do is support. If you're a dual degree student, a co-op student, your mission isn't just to teach kids and care for patients and start a business. No, your mission is to love God and serve people in that context. We need to know our mission. In fact, that is what Seth Wilson meant when he said, who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. You need to know your mission. Now, years ago, when I was younger and first went to college, I was actually in an Army ROTC program at California State University at Chico in Northern California. And we took a military science class in the first day of class, freshman year. I'm sitting there and a colonel is teaching this class and he walks back, he walks up to the chalkboard. These were kind of like whiteboards, but back in the day we had these chalkboards. And he actually wrote three words, mission, men, and me. Mission men and me. He says, those are the priorities. It's all about the mission. It's all about your teammates and other people. And then you last. And if you ever get those out of order, if you ever make it about you first above the mission, if you ever make it about you above your team and others, you will be an ineffective fighting force. 
Man, that's always stuck with me because it's so true, even in the spiritual battle that we fight. I mean, Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's mission. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's men or teammates or others. And then me, Philippians chapter two, Paul would write in verse three through four, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but to the interest, to each of you, to the interest of others. And you see, if you ever have those priorities out of order, if it's not about God's mission and other people and you last, you will be ineffective in ministry. And we realize we're a training institution, we're a college. And so the biggest blessing of faculty members is when we see freshmen show up and they're fired up and they they wanna serve Jesus. But if you really just drill down into their life, it's probably about them. Not not all of them, but it's about them and maybe their friends. And yeah, they they wanna serve God. But man, during the four or five years or some of you, six or seven, but whatever, that you're here. We see a transformation. It brings us great joy that when you walk across the stage, it's about God's mission and other people and you last. That's what we wanna see mission men and me because whether you realize it or not or like it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. First Peter would write, the apostle Peter in first Peter chapter five, as an older man, he's learned some lessons Verse eight, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to take this spiritual battle seriously. Years ago, when my wife, George, and I served as residence directors at Williamson Hall, um, my kids were at the time, my oldest Doug was six and my youngest Garrett was three years old and we're sitting in the dorm apartment around the dinner table and we're talking about Satan. We're talking about, we have a spiritual enemy. We have to be alert and the devil and my three-year-old Garrett looks up at the whole family and he's like, well, I like the devil. We're like, what? I mean, we're at Ozark Christian College in Williamson Hall, but I get it, but still, <laughs> still. And, and I just didn't know what to say. And his six-year-old brother, older brother, Doug, just kind of was thinking. And then he looked at his little three-year-old brother and he said, Garrett, you might like the devil, but he still hates your guts. And I'm like, exactly, just what your brother said. Listen to him. He hates your guts, little punk. We have an enemy. And then Peter, and Peter writes in verse nine of chapter five, resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Resist him, class of 2019. Stand firm in the faith. Peter is saying this because he knows the devil's lies are the same. They're the same lies that he's always used. All the way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter three, verses one through five. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and that you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You guys, Satan's lies are the same and you have faced them and you will face them in ministry and in life. And the first lie of Satan is, did God really say? When you're in ministry, that, that question's gonna be there. Did God really say that? And listen, he's not gonna attack you on some issue, something that has doctrinal discrepancies and hermeneutical issues and exegetical problems. Oh no, Satan's coming straight towards you. He's going to attack truth that you actually know. Truth that the church has stood unified for 2,000 years on. Truth that you have memorized and you have that scripture in your heart. You're memorizing it right now for Ackerman's Life of Christ, find all those chapters. I mean, you know it. Think about it. This wasn't a confusing truth. Satan's lie to Eve. He asked, Eve said, no, she was clear. We can eat from any tree in the garden except that one. And Satan then said, did God really say that? You guys, Satan's gonna come after you on truth that you know. He wants you to doubt that and question that. Let the word of God transform you. You memorize it, but let it just invade your life and transform you. Years ago, I taught a personal evangelism class that had like 80 freshmen in it one time. And I think I had 15 memory works that semester. It was toward the end of the semester. And I finally, I canceled the memory work at the beginning of class though. It was the beginning of class. And I said, yeah, we're not gonna do that memory work. And one of the freshmen looked at me and he's like, oh, great. So I memorized the scripture for nothing. And I said in front of the whole class, no, if you just memorized it for the quiz, you memorized it for nothing. They were like, ooh, dude. <laughs> Don't buy into the lie, did God really say? Although, you know, we know there's textual issues. That muddies the water. That's the side. Satan's going to attack you on truth that you have stood for your whole life. The, the second lie is this. You will not certainly die. It's not that bad. Sin is not that big of a deal. Don't let all the hater Christians judge you on that but it's sin that you actually know will kill you. Maybe it's part of your testimony. God has delivered you from it and you're still gonna be tempted to go back. Maybe you've made a decision to come to Ozark Christian College and you're changing the whole trajectory of your family history. And yet you'll begin to think the lie will be, ah, was it really that bad? You will not certainly die. I, I remember when my boys were entering high school, I had the dads talk with them and I'm like, hey, there's gonna be people tempting you. Come party with us, man. A little sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, come on. And, and just look at them. You know it's a lie because here's the deal. You have two uncles that have died. My brother and your mom's brother because of drug and alcohol abuse. Don't believe the lie. And some of you have that testimony. You have in your past, you know, decisions you've made of your family that yeah, it was bad, but God delivered you. And yet Satan's gonna attack you on that same thing. Did God really say, you will not surely die. And the last one, you will be like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
See, Satan wants to make it all about you, to put the mission men in me, to put the me back up at front, to just make it about you. I've often said, you know, this is Doug, this is the world, man. Me, myself, and I, the secular trinity, that's the temptation. And yet the call of Jesus is to deny ourselves and to pick up the cross and follow him. But we're gonna be, woe is me. This isn't fair to me. That's the temptation. And Satan's lies have always been the same. Class of 2019, stand firm. Don't buy into these. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through five. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message translated that last phrase. He said, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Mission men and me is the way to combat the three lies of Satan. Did God really say, you will not certainly die and you will be like God. You know, my kind of life verse that I discovered when I was taking Mark Scott's Acts class as a freshman, it was Acts 2024. We know where Paul writes, he gets it, right? He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. We consider our life worth nothing to us. You know, before I was ever in ministry, I worked as a paramedic, paramedic firefighter in Southern California. And I remember responding to this call one day. It came in as a child ill Half the time when you get those calls, it's really nothing. But we show up, it came through 911. I walk in the house, I didn't have my airway bag. And there was a four-year-old not breathing, lying in the living room floor. The four-year-old had had an epileptic seizure and had drowned in the bathtub. And so I sent my partner out to get the airway bag. And I remember just doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on this little four-year-old. And the four-year-old vomited in my mouth and I just cleaned out his mouth and did some more mouth-to-mouth until we finally got the airway bag in where I could intubate the patient and we could start doing a respirations for him and so forth. And that little boy had went too long without oxygen and he ultimately died. But I, I've often thought about that instance and I've asked myself the question, you know, Doug, you were willing to breathe through vomit to save a life. Would you be willing to breathe through vomit to save a soul? to love people, to serve God, because ministry is messy. You know, it wouldn't be a Doug Aldridge sermon if I didn't have a couple of Jim Elliott quotes. And so for those of you who don't know, Jim Elliott was killed January 8th, 1956, with four other men taking the gospel to the Alka Indians in Ecuador. But what challenges me, I mean, his life story, his martyrdom, he was 28 years old when he was killed. Man, has always inspired me, but it was when I bought his journals he was, a, he was a student at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. And when he was 19 years old, um, he would journal, he would read scripture and journal through it. And so he was reading through the Psalms and he read Psalm 100 verse four that day. We know this Psalm, we sing it in a corporate assembly. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And then he notes Psalm 100 verse three the scripture that Paige read earlier for us in worship. 
Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then at 19 years old, this is what Jim Elliott writes. What are those sheep doing going into the gate? What is their purpose inside those courts? To bleat melodies and enjoy the company of the flock? No. Those sheep were destined for the altar. Their pasture feeding had been for one purpose, to test them and fatten them for bloody sacrifice. Give him thanks then that you have been counted worthy of his altars. Enter into the work with praise. Class of 2019, your training started here, but your mission is out there. Today, let's give God thanks that you have been counted worthy of his altars. Enter into his work with praise. Let me pray.